Welcome to the Social Dallas Podcast. Today you'll hear an uplifting message from our pastor, Robert Madu. We are a church that is truly an open house that anybody can come here and find a seat at the table. We kicked off this series. Let me see if you've been paying attention. We started off the series talking about our house rules. And number one, we said we are a house of? Ooh, we're a house of what? We're a house of prayer. How many of you know God gets to define what his house is? He didn't say his house is a house of preaching. He didn't say it's a house of the Holy Ghost two-step. He said it is a house of prayer. That's what my house is supposed to be. He turned over tables one time in the Bible because people were stopping other people from connecting with God. We said we're a house of prayer. Second week, we talked about how we're a house of house of presence, that our primary objective is to host the presence of God. We'll let his presence wreck our program. Come on, there's nothing like the tangible, palpable presence of God. And then last week, how many of you were at Strauss last week? How many were there? Come on, how many was your first time at Strauss last week and you're coming to make some noise? Come on. It's crazy because we didn't even know when we launched this series that we were going to be at Strauss, and it was truly an open house. It was an open house. We had church outside, and I was laughing because y'all was trying. I was preaching, and y'all were, all y'all just panting like, we love Jesus, but boy, it's hot. And it was awesome to be out there. And we said, we're a house for people. We're a house for people. And today we're going to conclude the series, and I'm excited to preach it. In fact, would you stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word? It's going to be so, so good. Now, I have to remind you, this is the 6 p.m. turn-up service, okay? It is illegal for you to sit there over the next six and a half hours uh, that we have together and just go, that's interesting. No, you got to get verbally involved, okay? You got to talk back to me. Let's just practice. Say, preach that. Say, mm, that was good. Say, yo, that was for me. Say, oh, that was for you. Any one of those will work, okay? Any one of those will work. Pick it freely. So we're going to conclude this series tonight. And I want you to go with me to the gospel according to Mark. The gospel according to Mark. We're going to look at chapter number 14. And we'll read from verse 17 down to verse 21. Mark chapter 14. When you're ready to read it, say, yeah. If you're not ready, say, hold up. I heard that hold up. I heard that hold up. I'll wait for you even though it is on a massive screen behind me. Mark chapter number 14. Look at what it says. Interesting passage of scripture. It says, in the evening, Jesus arrived with the 12. And as they were at the table eating, Jesus said, I'll tell you the truth. One of you eating with me here will betray me. Greatly distressed, each one, that's the disciples, asked in turn, am I the one? And he replied, it is one of you, 12, who is eating from this bowl with me. For the Son of Man must die, as the scriptures declared long ago, but how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. It would be far better for that man if he had never been born. Ooh, this is serious Jesus. This is Jesus who has killed this dinner and brought tension into the room. We say this all the time at social. We say that everybody has a seat 
at the table. Everybody has a seat at the table. And I'm reading this text and thinking about that statement. And I'm like, do we, eh, do we really believe that? Like, everybody has a seat at the table. Everybody has a seat at the table. Anybody has Judas has a seat at the table? Ooh, you got to be careful when you say everybody has a seat at the table because you don't know who's going to show up at your table. I want to preach tonight just using this as a title, a seat at the table, a seat at the table. I had another title in my mind that would have been great clickbait, and I was going to call it the table of betrayal, Ooh, but I'm not going to call it that. Let's just call it a seat at the table. Look at your neighbor and say, oh, neighbor. Come on, look at them right in their face. Say, neighbor. A seat at the table. Look at your other neighbor, the one you completely ignored this entire service with your stuck-up self. Come on, look at that other neighbor. Say, other neighbor. Oh, it's something about a seat at the table. If you believe God's going to speak, would you give him a praise in advance? Father, speak to us tonight. Amen. You may be seated. And I think I'm going to sit too. A seat at the table. Social Dallas fam, do you remember your very first official birthday party? Anybody remember like your first official birthday party? I'm talking about like your for real first birthday party, not the one where your cousin just happened to be at the house and your mama got a cupcake and just stuck a candle in it. <laughs> I'm talking about like your first official birthday party where your friends from school were invited, everybody came over, or you went to some place. You remember your first birthday party? Yo, I, I vividly remember mine. I remember mine. My first birthday party, my first official birthday party was at an establishment that is actually still alive and well today. It's still kicking. I should have bought some stock in it. My first birthday party was at good old Chuck E. Cheese's. Come on, somebody. That was my first one. And I had a whole lot of birthday parties at good old Chuck E. Cheese's. Make some noise if you've ever had a birthday party at Chuck E. Cheese's. Look at your hand again, Chuck E. Cheese birthday party. Come on, this mouse is a national treasure. Look at the legacy of Chuck E. Cheese. That's my first birthday party was at good old Chuck E. Cheese. I will never forget it. In fact, I'm a grown man. I had a whole lot of birthday parties at Chuck E. Cheese, but I just found out this week, it helps to study, that Chuck's real name is Charles. His real name is Charles. And the E, the E stands for entertainment. Did you know that? It stands for entertainment. Chuck Entertainment Cheese. That is his full legal name. Chuck Entertainment Cheese. Entertainment is a good middle name, but I thought of a good second middle name for E. It could have been Chuck Economical Cheeses. Chuck Economical Cheeses. Because if you've ever thrown a birthday party for your offspring at Chuck E. Cheeses, you know that they understand that parents are on a budget. I love the prices at Chuck E. Cheese's. I love, I love that pizza at Chuck E. Cheese's. Yes, it's as thick as Teflon and it tastes like Play-Doh, but it don't matter. I can feed 80 kids for $8. I love the parties at Chuck E. Cheese. We're not here for culinary excellence. Come on, we are here to play games and then get tickets and exchange those tickets for toys that we could have bought at Target in the clearance aisle. That is the purpose of going to Chuck E. Cheese's. I love Chuck Jesus, I love that mouse. I love that mouse right there. As a matter of fact, while we're on topic talking about mouses, I love that mouse way more than I love this mouse. 
Yes, I said it. Give me Chuck E. Cheese over Mickey any day. You know why? Chuck E. Cheese is economical, not Mickey. You see his hand. All Mickey want is my money. From Disney Plus to Disney World, I can't stand that rat. Takes all of my money. Some of you are like, oh, don't say that. He's part black. You should support him. I don't care. I don't like Mickey. Give me Chucky. Some of you are like, yo, but he wears the new Yeezys. I don't care what shoes he has on. I like Chuck E. Cheese <laughs> over Mickey any day. Because to me, when it comes to a birthday party, I'm looking at the finances. I'm looking at the budget, okay? I'm looking at what is the bottom line. And I say that to tell you this. Uh, my wife, who I love so much, is currently planning a joint birthday party for my two little girls, for Everly and Remy. This is their first joint birthday party. It's a big deal. And uh, they're thrilled. They're thrilled. I am scared to death of this bill, okay? Because this is the most extra birthday party I have ever seen in my life. Her sister's an event planner, so we got connections. But still, this birthday is doing the most. There's bounce houses. There's hors d'oeuvres and charcuterie boards and mimosas. Who has mimosas at a four-year-old? I'm just playing. It's not mimosas. <laughs> But there's all this extra stuff. There's a real unicorn that is coming to this birthday party, and my wife's been planning it. But what's been interesting as we've been planning the birthday party is I went to my daughter, Evie. I went to my daughter, Evie, and I asked her an essential question to her party. I said, Evie, who do you want to invite to your party? Who do you want to invite? And you should have heard the answers that came out of Evie's mouth. Ooh, even Remy's mouth. First thing Evie said when I said, who do you want to invite? She goes, well, Daddy, I don't want any boys there. The only boy that's invited is you. I said, ooh, give me a high five. I shed one tear. I said, babe, get two unicorns. Get two unicorns. We doing something right. She said, yeah, um, I want this girl to be invited. I want this girl to be invited. I want this girl to be invited. She had all the names of the people she wanted invited. And then I would pick her up from school, and I guess somewhere down on the playground, she'd be like, oh, that girl is not invited anymore. She is off the list. Put an X. It was funny to me how they were responding to who they wanted to be invited to their party. Remy, she wants boys at the party. She had a whole list of the boys that she wanted at the party. And I told her she had to go to bed one night, he said, oh, you are not invited to my birthday party, daddy. <laughs> Just tripped me out hearing that my six-year-old and my four-year-old already have fallen prey to the human propensity to selectively invite people to a party they're not even paying for. Isn't it interesting that my little girls, my beautiful little girls, already have learned how to be selectively invitational to a party that they are not even paying for. They haven't contributed a dollar to this party. They don't care about the budget of this party. They don't know the sacrifice that I'm having to go through to throw this party, but they have strong opinions about who they think should be invited to the party. They have strong opinions about who they think should have a at the table when they're not even paying for the party. I hope somebody sees where I'm going with this tonight because I am shocked at how many believers have strong opinions about who they think can sit at the table that God has prepared when they hadn't even paid the price for anybody. Can I tell you, when you haven't paid the price for the party, you don't get to pick who you want at the party and I'm telling you, God 
might invite somebody that's not on your list. Isn't it crazy? At six and four, they're already selective. They can come. They can't come. And they're subjective. She could come. Not today. Now she's canceled. She can't come. It blew my mind that my daughters are already giving in to cancel culture. The people they were going to invite, they've X'd off the list. Not one of them said, Dad, invite everybody. Invite the whole neighborhood. Let everybody have a seat at the table. No, they got strong opinions about the people they think should have sit at the table. And they're not paying for the party. But can I tell you the beauty of our Savior is that he has a table that has been set. And if you want to know the invitation list of God, guess who he invites? Everybody. Guess who he invites? All. All who are thirsty can sit at the table. All who are weak can sit at the table. You want to see the invitation list of our Savior? It is all. I love reading the Bible and looking at the table because Jesus, he had interesting things that he did at the table. He often would have meals with people that other people would have an attitude with him because he would have the nerve, the audacity to eat with them. You understand in biblical times, the table was a big deal. Can I get a drink? Table was a big deal in biblical times. To sit at a table at dinner, the father would use the table as the place to bring instruction to his family. It was at the table that he would gauge the atmosphere of his home. It was at the table that they would share scriptures and the word of God. The table was a big deal. And who you ate with in biblical times was a big deal. It was a big deal. It expressed commonality to have a meal with somebody. And Jesus ate with Everybody. This is what blows my mind about how inclusive our God was. He was inclusive with his ministry. He would minister to all kinds of people. He was inclusive with his miracles. I'm just going that tangent a little bit. It blows my mind that Jesus would heal everybody. Everybody. Just You want healing? Come on. If it was me, I couldn't have done it because I'm petty. I'm petty. If I'm going to heal you and I got the foreknowledge of what you're going to do, I need to know what you're going to do with this healed body that I'm about to heal. Amen. There's some people that be getting in the line. If I was Jesus, I'd be like, uh-uh, uh-uh, I ain't healing your hand. Why not? Because you're going to steal as soon as I heal it. Next, it's crazy that Jesus would heal everybody. Think about that just for a moment. He healed hands that would steal. He healed eyes that were going to lust. He healed legs that were going to walk away from him and never follow him. He was so inclusive with his miracles, with his ministry, but he sure was inclusive with his meals. He would eat with tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners and Pharisees. It seems like anybody could pull up to the table and have a meal with Jesus. And I want to ask you today, Who do you invite to your table? Who gets to sit at the table? Or have you done like my daughters and become selective and subjective with who you think gets a seat at the table? Because we serve a God that has an open table where everybody can have a seat at the table. And I found that a lot of Christians love to say, everybody has a seat at the table until people start showing up at that table. And they were like, well, yeah, not, not this table, somebody else's table. Do, do you only sit with people that you're familiar with? Ooh, it's quiet in this little Catholic church tonight. 
No, for real, do you only sit with people that look like you? Do you only sit with people that have the same ideology as you? This is what I found about humanity, is that we tend to only let people sit at the table that we agree with. So well, sit at the table, my man. I'm wondering, do you allow everybody at your table? Or have you become selective and subjective with who can sit? What happens when somebody shows up to your table that's different than you? What happens when somebody shows up to the table that thinks different than you think? That has a different social status than you have? Oh, get ready. That votes different than you vote? Can they really sit at your table? Go sit at the table. Ooh, first of all, let me help my illustrators. They are not espousing the ideology of anything that they're wearing, but they are wearing this hat and this shirt to show the polarity that I see in the world, which is expected. But I'm confused how it's gotten into the church to the point that we won't even sit at a table with somebody that's different than us. And we have the nerve and the audacity to think that because you're different, you must be demonic and separate. And I got the corner market on who gets to sit at the table, but I'm going to say it one more time. If you didn't pay for the party, you don't get to pick who sits at the table. And there is a Savior that shed his blood for all of humanity, and because he shed his blood for all, he says, come and sit at the table. Preach, Robert. I'm trying. It's funny. It's funny how we'll criticize and castigate people different than us and think that we can't sit together at the table. Can I tell you the power of the table? You know the power of the table is that at the table, guess what? We can eat together. It's a don't, bro, let me tell you what I love about Jesus. Jesus, he ate with everybody. You know what I love about eating? There was a commonality. Will you get some of that carbs? There was a commonality to eating food. There's a commonality to eating. Because I don't care who you are, I bet you get hungry. It is the thing that unites us all. This is what I love about the miracles of Jesus. I love that he healed blind eyes. I love that he healed deaf ears. But not everybody was deaf. Not everybody was blind. But you want to know the miracle that was in all four Gospels? The miracle where he took two fish and five loaves and multiplied it to about 20,000 people. You, oh. Why he did that? Because he was trying to remind people that I am the bread of life and I don't care what you have a need of. I can satisfy that need and I bet you'll get hungry and you will eat from this table. Somebody help me preach it here today. Everybody's hungry. Everybody's hungry. He ate with tax collectors. Ate with prostitutes. Ate with sinners. And they said, how dare he sit at the table? If he knew what they did. He said, oh, I know what they did. I know what you did, too. Come on, pull up a chair. I bet you're hungry. <laughs> it's the beauty of a meal. It's the beauty of eating with somebody. How I many you know to eat with somebody is to share a common connection? Every marriage started with a meal. Come on, before you walk down that aisle, you know you went to eat, and you're like, hey, so what, what you like to do? <laughs> it's the power of a meal. It's the power of the table that we can sit together 
Even the word companion, the word companion comes from two Latin words that actually means together and food. That if you're really my companion, we can throw down and eat some food together. Do you have to agree with everybody before they can come to the table and eat? When's the last time you had a meal with somebody that if somebody walked in the restaurant, they'd be like, why are you eating with him? Did you see his hat? When was the last? This is what got Jesus in trouble because he ate with everybody. The power of a meal. The power of companionship. Is everybody allowed at the table? Are homeless people allowed at your table? Somebody said, yeah. Really? Are they really allowed at the table? You know, you've seen the vision that we talked about for social. We are going to have a bus one day where we are going to pick up the homeless and we're going to minister to them. We've already declared it. But do homeless people get a seat at the table? See, here's what I found. People relate to homeless people differently. There's some of us, you know, you see somebody, you're like, oh, I didn't see them. And, you know, you just ignore, you roll up your window real quick. There's other you take a step further, you see their cup, you're like, you know what, let me see, you know, all right, bro, I got you, I got you. You give them the money, and you drive off feeling real good, like, shh, you saw that, right? I'm good, I'm good. Some of us take it a step further, we're like, oh my goodness, I just can't give you, come on, I know you're hungry, come on, man, here you go, here you go, here you go, and you get food, and, and you feel real good, don't you? You feel real good. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it, but the problem with charity is sometimes charity has the possibility of producing a prideful heart because there's something in you that feels good that you did it but you want to see the power of the table don't just give the food say I'm willing to allow you to come sit at the table with me Ooh. I'm not just going to hand you food out my window. Let's pull up to a restaurant in Dallas and walk in and have everybody looking at us like, what are they doing in here? Are you with him? I sure am. This is my dude right here. What you want to stay? Because there's something about a meal, a shared experience that allows us to break bread and connect. There's something about the table and eating that allows us to understand that we all need the bread of life. I want to challenge us as a church and a community to have a long table, to have a wide table, to allow people to sit at the table that don't think like you think and don't look like you look. I almost had him do it. I almost had him put a massive table on the stage. I'm going to get this long table, but the budget is tight. So I just said, put this one on here because I wanted you to see the beauty of an expansive table. Look at all the meals that Jesus had in the Bible. I love in the Gospel of Luke, he talks about the kingdom of God as a meal, a banquet. He talks about how a man went out and invited people to the party, speaking to the Jewish nation, saying, I invited you to the party. But they had excuses of why they couldn't come to the open invitation. Let's look at it in Luke 14. And so when they rejected the invitation of the party, the servant who invited them returned and told his master what the people that made excuses said. Said, we're not coming. We got stuff to do. And his master was furious. This is a picture of Jesus. He said, go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town. Invite the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Do you see the invitation of Jesus? Don't you dare tell me you can't come to the table with your issues. God said, I don't care what your issue is. You still have a place at the table. Invite the lame. And after the servant had done this, look at what he reported. There is still room 
for more. There's still room for more. God always has room at the table. He said, there's got to be more seats at the table. So he says, go into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. If you want to know the picture of the kingdom of God, it is a picture where everybody has a seat at the table. How many know this right here alone is hard for believers to do? Just to pull up and sit next to somebody that's completely different than you. But what's happening in my text today, if this wasn't hard enough, what's happening in my text today is not a table that is an open invitation. This is a different table. This is the Last Supper. These are the last moments that Jesus will have, not with the sinners, not with the crowd, but with his 12. His 12 have gathered in an upper room to have an intimate moment. It is what will be their last meal before his crucifixion. Think about the power of this moment. One person said that every person that you love, you will have a last moment with them. The problem is you don't know when that moment will be. Can you imagine the intimacy of this moment? This is the place where with the 12, Jesus, the King of glory, he takes the position of a servant and he washes their feet. This is an intimate moment. Only the 12 get at this table. But the thing that I don't understand about this table, the thing I don't get about the 12 that are at this table is there is one person that I am confused as to how he got at the table. I'm not just confused how he got at the table. I'm confused how he got in the 12 in the first place. This has perplexed me for several years in my Christianity because you understand that God knows everything. He knows the end from the beginning. He can see you walking and he knew what was in you. Not only that, before he picked the 12, the Bible says he prayed the entire night, had an all-night prayer meeting because he knew he was about to pick his cabinet. And after praying all night and after thinking, who could I have on my team to turn the world upside down? I am confused about one person that made the list. I don't know how this dude got on the team. I don't got a problem with Andrew, I get why he's on the list. I don't got a problem with Bartholomew. You need somebody on your team that got an exotic name. I don't got a problem with Matthew. How many know you better get your taxes together? I don't got a problem with Peter. I'm glad Peter was at the table. You know why I'm glad Peter was at the table? Because you need some crazy people on your team. You need some people that's still working some things out. You need a Peter that might cuss you out and be like, my bad. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say that. Oh yeah, give me a Peter. Give me a Peter that will cut somebody's ear off. Oh, I can handle your character issues if you got loyalty. Oh, I'm telling you, if you're cussing and you're cutting, we'll talk about that later. But if you're doing it for you because you got my back, I am with you. I can get a Peter because he's got loyalty. What I don't understand is Judas. That's what I can't stand. Is anybody like me? My love language is loyalty. Oh, yes, I got loyalty, got royalty inside my DNA. If you with me, then roll with me. If you for me, then be for me. If you like me, then let me know. I 
like people that keep it 100. I'm even in this season of my life. If you don't like me, but you come up to me and go, yo, I don't like you. We can hug it out. At least you let me know. I can roll with you. What I can't stand is the one that's smiling in your face. All the while they want to take your place. Backstab. Guess what I can't stand? If you don't like me, let me know. But don't be faking. Don't be connected because you just want the clout. 6 p.m., I can say anything tonight. Hold up. Disloyal Judas. How is he on the list? How did he get to this table? How did he even get on the team? Judas, Judas, Judas. Oh, my goodness. This is a name that is synonymous with treachery. When you think of betrayal, you think of Judas. A betrayer made it to the table. A betrayer made it to the upper room. I can't stand the Judas. Perhaps no other name besides Hitler that when you hear it, you feel the evil behind it. You betrayed Jesus? If you don't believe that Judas betrayal still has ramifications today, I'll prove it to you. Let's do a roll call. Wave your hand if your name is Matt in here tonight. Wave your hand if your name is Matt. Matthew, Matthew. Oh, see one over there. Come on, all right. Wave your hand if your name is John. Name is John. Got a John in here. Got a John. Okay, see a John. Yep, there's a John. Okay. Name, raise your hand if your name is Andrew. Any Andrews in the house? Andrew, make some noise. What up, Andrew? Okay. Uh, uh, let's see, any Peters in the house? Peter? Any, is there a Peter here? Peter, hello? Look at Peter in the back, my guy. Peter, you ready? Judas? Any Judas? Ain't no parent named their kid Judas. Can you imagine? Imagine that first day of school, name called uh, Judas. Go to the principal's office. What I do is the first day you were born. Go to the principal's office. Judas! Oh, I can see his face. I can see what he looks like. I can see the sadistic grin. I can see the evil emanating from his eyeballs. I can see his face. To me, he's got a long face. Got a long face with little beady eyes, like a beard. He's got a little squiggly underneath him. He's got like long fingers. It looks like this. And you remember Peter denied Jesus after the rooster crow? I see Judas like with a rooster or a bird on his shoulder, just looking like this. You know where I'm going with this. Judas looked like Jafar off Aladdin. That's what I'm saying. That's what he looked like. That's how I see him. Just evil. That's how I see him in my head. Probably not the reality. Judas probably just looked, uh, he probably looked normal. What trips me out about Judas is even what his name means. Judas does not translate to mean the original hater. Judas translates to mean praise. So I'm trying to figure out How do you go from being a praiser to a betrayer? How do you go from being handpicked and selected by Jesus and following him to selling him out? How do you go from laying hands on the sick and casting out devils to having the devil enter you as you betray the son of the living God? You want to know who scares me? Judas scares me. Judas scares me. Not because of his betrayal. 
Judas scares me because of his position and proximity to Jesus. Judas is proof positive you can go to the best church. Judas is proof positive you can hear the best preaching. Judas is proof positive that you can be in the tangible presence of God. Judas is proof positive that you can see the miraculous, you can see signs and wonders, and yet your heart still be far from God. Woo, Judas is scary. Judas is proof positive that you can be around God activity and yet inside of you there is activity that is antithetical to the very presence of God. Judas is scary. Oh, he's the betrayer. Does anybody know what it's like to have a Judas at your table? To have a betrayer at your table. You'd be shocked at the person sitting in this room watching online in their bathrobe right now whose life is on pause because a Judas showed up at their table. And I think Judas teaches us some things, not just about the table, but about betrayal. The first thing Judas teaches us about betrayal is that betrayal always begins with trust. Betrayal always begins with trust. This is why betrayal is so debilitating. This is why betrayal will put your life on pause. This is why there are some people who have been betrayed and the betrayal was years ago, years ago, and yet there's not a single day they haven't gotten up and thought about the person that did it. Because betrayal always begins with trust. Hear me, your enemies cannot betray you. If you're my enemy, you cannot betray me. You have to have proximity to me to betray you. Betrayal always begins with trust. It's always somebody close to you. They have to have your trust first to betray you. If you're looking for betrayal, don't look at the troll that comments on your Instagram page. That's not the one you have to worry about. It's the person that you're in the picture with on your page. Talking about this my BF, my best friend. Are you sure? You trust them? Yeah, I trust them with my life. It's my BF, okay? Because the trust is what gives the opportunity for betrayal. And before you know it, you find yourself switching the hashtag from BF to FB because you found out they were a future betrayer and you can't figure out how they got that close to you. Oh, this is why betrayal hurts. This is why it stays, because I'm not just tripping about what you did. It's not what you did that has me floored. I'm tripping over the fact that who you are has shattered the illusion of who I thought you were. That's the pain of betrayal. It always begins with trust. So if you're in this room tonight and you've been betrayed and you don't want to go through it again, I hate to break it to you. If you don't want to face betrayal, then don't trust anybody. And the problem with not trusting anybody is that you will find yourself sitting alone because every relationship runs on the currency of trust. Betrayal always begins with trust. Who can I go deeper? I want to go deeper because I know this is a real subject and some of you right now are feeling your forehead sweating, your heart palpitating because you got the betrayer on your mind, don't you? <laughs> You're like, I can't believe they did what they did. That's how you feel. You know what you feel? It's, ooh, 
It's, I can't believe they would do that because I would never do that to somebody. Isn't that what you feel? Oh, you raise yourself above them. You're like, I would never do that to How could they? You're right. Maybe you wouldn't. But betrayal begins with what? With what? Question. How many of you would consider yourself a trustworthy person? Can I see your hand? Ooh, you walked right into it. Hold on, let me see your hand. <laughs> trustworthy person, all the trustworthy people. Raise a high, be proud, trustworthy. Look at all these hands. My goodness, I didn't know I was pastoring the most trustworthy church in America. Look at all these hands. Let me make this declaration. You won't get hurt here at Social Dallas. Look at all these trustworthy people. Put your hand back up. Trustworthy people. Oh, okay, you trustworthy? Ooh. Okay, here's the problem with you just raising your hand. If you didn't raise your hand, I'm scared of you. Because you admit it. I'm not. <laughs> but if you raise your hand, I'm still scared of you because betrayal begins with. So just by virtue of the fact that you said I'm trustworthy, you have lifted up your hand in the presence of all of these witnesses to say I am the candidate for betraying somebody. <laughs> betrayal begins with trust. Do you see how it's a slippery slope? Be careful when you say, I would never, because you don't know. I'm not saying what the person did was right. I'm sure they were wrong. But I am saying, don't deny the fact that within all of us is the propensity to betray. Prove it in the scripture. I'll prove it in the scripture. <laughs> Look at how Jesus sets up this dinner. Look at how he sets up this last supper. He comes to the table. The meal has been prepared. They're eating. Keep eating. Homie, you done ate this whole plate. Are you for real? <laughs> Did you eat before you came to church? Like, hey, man, you don't want to ask me to be in the sermon. I mean, I'm going to do my job. This plate is almost all gone. <laughs> I eat, eat, eat. There's room at the table and there's enough food at the table. We good? <laughs> that messed me up. You all see this meal. Can you see it? They're in the upper room. This is the last moment. They're eating, having a good time. This is Judas right here. Sorry. They're having a good time. They're talking. I'm like, man, I love y'all. I'm telling you, nobody else I would have rolled with except for y'all right here. Peter, you good? My guy. Man, I think, man, remember year two? Remember year two? He started walking on the water. <laughs> Forgot he can't swim. <laughs> oh, Peter, I told you, you should keep your eyes on me. You should keep your eyes on me, man. You should keep your eyes on me. I'm having a good time. I think Cowboys gonna get him tomorrow night. I think they're gonna get him. But watch this. You ever been in a meal and somebody said something that took the air out of the room? That's what happens. In the middle of the meal, Jesus goes, uh, God, stop eating. Bartholomew, please stop. <laughs> says, uh, says, one of you 
is going to betray me. What? Jesus, you already know who it is. He right next to you. Why do you interrupt the meal to pose a question or a statement rather and say one of you is going to betray me? If it was me, I'm petty. First of all, homeboy wouldn't even be at the table. But as soon as we would have sat down, for real, for real, he had already met with the high priest, for real, homie, all I did for you, for real, I would have been in Judas' face. Ain't no one of you is got, this is not a mystery. He about to betray me, sell out. You right here. What is Jesus doing? He's a teacher. One of you is going to betray me. Why is Jesus saying this? He's saying it because he wants the disciples to do what every disciple must do. He's trying to get them to check the condition of their heart. He's trying to get them to see where their heart is. This is all God wants you to do. It's not to be the one that's looking at everybody else. How could you? But to look at yourself and say, how could I? I am not just intrigued with the fact that Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me when he knows it's Judas. I'm intrigued by the disciples' answer. Because, read it when you get to the crib, they did not say, it's Judas. I knew it the day you picked him. I saw it on his face. I'm selling you. He's shaking. No, no, no. We read it earlier. Each one of them said, am I the one? Is it me? Not one of the disciples at the table were sure that it wasn't them. Betrayal begins with trust. And this is what our society has yet to understand is because we keep looking for all the people that we deem evil Judases and we're trying to put them on one side. And we do it with different categories of people. Some people do it with races and we say they're the problem. They're evil. If we could just get them over there and us over here, the world would be a better place. And we're always trying to draw a line of demarcation between the good and the bad, between the good and the evil and say it's them over there. It's the conservatives. It's the liberals. It's the Christians. It's the atheists. We're trying to divide the line. But if you really want to divide the line of good and evil, don't look for different people to put on each side. Divide the line right down the middle of your beautiful self and check yourself before you wreck yourself because each one of them said, am I the one? Not one of them was sure that they didn't have the ability to betray. You want to know what makes you have grace for other people? You know what, one of, what makes you humble and not stick up your nose in arrogance towards other people? You know what makes you forgive even the Judas that's right next to you? Is when you know that there is a Judas down on the inside of you. Don't you ever think that you're that saved, that you're that special? Come on, is there anybody in here that can testify that if it had not been for the grace of God on my life, I, oh, y'all going to act stuck up in here tonight? Can anybody be honest to say if it wasn't for Jesus, I know where I would
should be. Judas, I would have done the same thing. I'm not here by my works. I'm not here by my merit. I'm here because of the grace of God. How do you forgive a Judas next to you? It's becoming aware of the Judas that's in you. Betrayal begins with trust. Judas didn't become Judas in a moment. He became Judas over time. You don't become Judas in an instant. You become Judas in increments. See, betrayal doesn't just begin with trust. You need to also know that betrayal always leaves a trail. Please don't relegate his betrayal to the moment he kissed Jesus in the garden. He had been betraying before that. Betrayal always leaves a trail. Nobody commits adultery just in one moment. It doesn't just, hey, you're not my wife. Come over here. Hey, you're not my husband. Come. No. It started long before that. It started with looking at their page longer than you should have. It started with a flirtation at the office. Nobody becomes a major thief overnight. It starts in increments. Cheating on your taxes. Little moments of compromise. You don't become Judas in an instant. You become Judas in increments. Have you ever met somebody like on fire for God? Like, I mean, love Jesus. First one at the altar. Love you, Jesus! You ever met that person? And then like you lose touch with them for like a couple of years. And all of a sudden you see them. And the same one, snotting, tearing at the altar. It's like, oh man, psh, you know, I psh, that face stuff, I'm good. What happened? They didn't lose it in a moment. It happened in increments. It happened because they got in an environment that was antithetical to the faith that they once held so dear. It happened year after year at a university. We've seen it before. Rarely do you lose faith in an argument. You lose faith in atmosphere. Judas left the trail of betrayal. I'll show it to you. Before this Last Supper, Jesus has a moment where Mary comes in with this alabaster box. You remember the song? Cece sang about it. Remember? Do I need to sing it? You remember? I come to pour. Remember? Do I need to finish it? My praise on him like oil from Mary's. Okay, remember? She breaks it. It's expensive. The fragrance fills the room. Mark says that as soon as she does it, one of the disciples says, Oh, that's a waste. Could have given that to the poor. Such a waste. That's what Mark says. He keeps the person anonymous. Ooh, I love John. John is my guy. Because John is writing his gospel years after the events took place. It, it is not a synoptic gospel. It's not in order. John is a dude who writes his gospel later and then starts piecing different moments that he realized in retrospect. And so he'll say stuff like, he's the bread of life, and then he'll put the story of the fish and low. He's like, oh, I didn't know when he said he was the bread of life that he like meant he was the bread. <laughs> he'll connect it. He's writing in retrospect. And look at who John says the disciple was. In John chapter 4, but Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, look, he's still salty when he's writing it. <laughs> I knew he wasn't nothing. He looked like Jafar the day that Jesus picked him. <laughs> Judas is the one that said it. That perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. 
Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, pause, Judas was watching the money? Do you see betrayal begins with trust? He was trustworthy. If it's 12 dudes, you don't even give it to the tax collector, you give it to Judas. He didn't start off a betrayer. Of all of them, they trusted him with the money. You become Judas in increments. John tells us that he often stole money for himself. It trips me out because I bet that day when the woman is worshiping and Judas was like, oh, we could have given this money to the poor. I bet the disciples were like, oh, that Judas, good heart. Always thinking about the poor. They found out later the trail of betrayal had already started. I'm speaking to somebody right now that has already started betraying and it hasn't come into full fruition. You haven't kissed them in the garden yet but you're doing it in increments. Betrayal always has a trail. Last thing I want you to get is that betrayal always has a trap. Worship team, join me. Betrayal begins with trust. Betrayal always has a trail. Betrayal has a trap. I'm speaking to those of you in the room who don't realize that a Judas heart is forming in you because it's happening in increments, little compromises. I often ask myself, especially when I was looking at this text, what made him do it? Was he jealous of Jesus? I don't think so. Was he greedy? Maybe. Yeah, he was stealing money. What's interesting to me is that when he went to the high priest, he had already given them over. They brought up the 30 pieces of silver. They just threw that in. I don't even think it was fully greed. Do you know what I think it was that started his betrayal? Disappointment. Disappointment. It's disappointment that Jesus is not doing the thing that he thought Jesus was going to do. Judas had been hearing Jesus preach, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, the kingdom, the kingdom. And he thought that Jesus was going to overthrow the Roman government. Because that's what all the disciples thought their biggest problem was. It's the government. It's the government's problem. They're the problem, the government. Sound familiar? It's the government. That's the biggest problem. Just fix the Roman government. And Jesus saying, I'm not trying to overthrow the government. That is not humanity's biggest problem. Humanity's biggest problem is not the government. Humanity's biggest problem is sin. Sin is the sickness that only my blood can cure. Sin is the sickness that is wreaking havoc on humanity. Sin is the cancer. You don't know what your problem is. You think it's the Roman government. It's not the government. It is sin. I came to overthrow sin and death. But he kept talking about a kingdom, and they thought it was a kingdom on earth. So every time he said kingdom, they're buying robes and thinking of how big their crown is going to be. What do you do when Jesus disappoints you? What do you do when you thought he was talking about one thing, but it hasn't turned out to be the thing that you were hoping for? That's when you start to betray he was disappointed. I can see Judas going for three years. I left everything to follow you. And you're talking about going to the cross? I wanted to be on your left and your right, reigning, not on your left and your right, 
on the cross? Oh, what do you do when Jesus is talking about one thing, but you have something else in mind? Remind me of this time when I uh, had to preach for this friend of mine. I'll never forget it. He'd asked me to preach at this youth camp, this youth camp. And I was excited. I was like, bro, I got you. I preached for your youth camp. And I had preached a bunch of youth camps, a bunch of youth camps. I love youth camps. Smell like Axe body spray and funk, just powerful. <laughs> Kids getting ministered to. I love it. I preached, been, been preaching youth camps. He said, come preach my youth camp. I'll go and preach for my friends. Youth camp, youth camp. I've been, I've been doing youth camps. And he's been telling me, you ready for the youth camp? I'm like, yo, ready for the youth camp? These kids' lives are going to be changed. It's going to be good. He's like, you ready? I'm ready. Bro, youth camp. I got you. This is what I do. I do youth camps. We start driving in this little remote area in Montana. We start going to like the woods that look like a horror movie where the black dude dies first. I was like, where are we? We pull up in an open field. I said, bro, wh wh where's the service? I look at my right. People are getting tense out the van. He said, bro, the service is here. I said, where? He said, here. I said, where's the building? He said, Robert, it's a youth camp. I said, hold up. You didn't say it was a youth camp. You said it was a youth camp. You said it was a youth camp, not a youth camp. We, we camping? He's like, Robert, yeah. You said, I told you youth camp. I was like, no, I thought you meant youth camp, not youth camp, like camping. He's like, Robert, what about the kids? I said, forget these kids. There's bears out here. I'm not trying to die. Are you? For I was so mad. I thought he was talking about one thing. He meant something else. Jesus was talking about the kingdom. Judas thought it was one thing, it ended up being something else. And that's how he betrayed. He was disappointed. Betrayal always leaves a trap. It leaves a trap for the one who is the betrayer. And it leaves a trap for those of you who have been betrayed. Do you know what the trap of betrayal is to those of you who, as I speak, are still damaged by the betrayal. Here's the trap of betrayal that the enemy would love for you to fall into. It's called DTA. DTA. That's the trap of betrayal. DTA. Don't trust again. Don't do it. The enemy would love that because Judas betrayed you, that you would get so mad and so hurt that you say, you know what? How could you betray me? How could you do this to me? After all I did for you, you know what? Everybody leave. Go. Just leave. Just leave. Just go. Take your stuff and go. All of you go. This is what the enemy wants. He wants the pain of Judas, the pain of betrayal to make you close your heart, to make you not love anybody, to make you not be vulnerable again. Do you see the trick of the enemy? The enemy wants the pain of the betrayal of Judas to make you have a seat, a single seat at the table. He wants you in isolation. He don't want you to love anybody again because in isolation he can torment you. He doesn't want you to put your heart out there again. And I came to tell somebody, don't let the betrayal of Judas make you miss out on John. Don't let the betrayal of Judas make you miss out on a person that can actually love you, that can actually support you. Don't let Judas make you miss out on John. Do you know who John was for Jesus? John is the only disciple that didn't walk away. John is a disciple that would
would lay his head on the chest of Jesus. Even Peter denied him. Even all of them walked away, but not John. John was ride or die. John was the only one that was at the foot of the cross and said, Jesus, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. And I came to tell somebody, you're about to miss out on the John because of the pain of the Judas. But God said, if you'll let me open up and heal your heart, I'll bring you a John, but don't let Judas stop it. I'm telling you, we're called as believers to add seats at the table, not to have a seat at the table. And I don't care how much you pretend. I don't care how much you say, I'm good. I'm good. No, I like being alone. You know your heart craves community and it craves connection. And Judas, if you're not careful, will block the blessing of John. Don't fall into the trap that says, I'm not going to trust again. The enemy wants a seat at the table. But God is looking for our people who are able to, ex to give love and forgiveness to even the Judas that was right next to them. And they don't allow the Judas to stop them from adding seats to the table. Know how I can forgive the Judas that's next to me? It's because I know there's a Judas in me. It's because I know that the only one that was truly innocent, the only one who did no wrong, was still able to say, Judas, do what you must. Was still able to wash Judas' feet. What would a church look like if rather than being in isolation and just having a seat at the table, we still extended our arms to other people after the betrayal and after the hurt. Would you stand with me tonight? I'm going to ask every head be bowed and eyes closed. Father, I thank you tonight that There is a seat at the table. God, thank you that you have a table that is so inclusive that anyone could come, that all can come and feast. Well, Lord, tonight I'm praying for the hearts of my brothers and my sisters, some of who have experienced the greatest betrayal Some of them, their heart has been so closed because of the betrayal that they are about to miss out on the miracle of John because of the betrayal of Judas. So Lord, tonight I'm asking for you to do what only you can do through the power of your spirit. God, this is too heavy. We can't do this on our own. But Lord, tonight would you do open heart surgery give us the gift of being vulnerable again. Vulnerable with you. Vulnerable with other people. Jesus, your life is proof positive that there is hope even after betrayal. God, tonight I'm not even just praying for those of us who have been betrayed. God, I'm even praying for the betrayer. 
the one who messed up, the one who hurt, the one who abused, the one who treated someone unfairly. And they think there's no room for them at the table, but God, thank you that your table is so wide and so expansive that even they can come to the table and repent and find grace. Oh God, thank you that your table is long and wide, that the betrayed and the betrayers can come sit and eat and take of the bread of life. I'm asking you to heal hearts tonight so that we keep bringing seats to the table rather than staying in isolation. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed all over this place tonight, but if you be so honest to say, you know what, I, I know this is for me. I'm talking to those of you who betrayal has literally made you stop trusting people. Everybody you're keeping at an arm's length because you're afraid of being hurt again. But you can't have relationship without trust. And today God wants to heal your heart so that you can run the risk of the betrayal again. But the healing that is going to come from the community is going to change your life forever. So with heads bowed and eyes closed tonight, if you'd be so honest to say, you know, that's me. I've, I've allowed the Judas to block the blessing of a John. That's you. Would you just lift up your hand as a sign to say, Lord, that's me. That's me. Yeah. Thank you, God. I see hands going up all over this place tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Whew. Father, heal hearts tonight. Thank you that there is life. There's hope after the betrayal. Heads about eyes are still closed. Maybe you're here tonight and you say, you know what? I'm, I'm the one that's been the betrayer. <laughs> And you keep beating yourself up every single day for what you did. And I came to tell you, Jesus already paid the price for your sin. And you don't have to beat yourself up about it. You're dismissing your seat at the table because you did the wrong. And God's saying, no, come to me. You know what the tragedy of Judas is? Is that he gave up. He gave up before the resurrection. How many of you know Jesus still... I believe this. This is personal opinion. I believe he still would have given Judas another chance. He gave Peter another chance after he denied him three times. This is the unrelenting, unfathomable grace of God. It keeps reaching. It keeps chasing. Even after you've fallen down, saying, come on, come on, come on, pull up a seat. It's about as close as that shoe when you say, I've been the betrayer and I need... I need the shame, the guilt, the condemnation off of me tonight. If that's you, would you lift up your hand tonight? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Say, that's me. Yeah. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. One last thing tonight. I want to give somebody an opportunity to say, Lord, I'm giving you my life. In this room, watching online, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, today is your day. We say it all the time. You can always come home. If you're here tonight, you say, Pastor Robert, would you include me in this prayer? I need to give my life to Jesus. You don't have to clean yourself up to come to him. You just come just as you are. If that's you, would you just lift up your hand to say, God, I'm giving you my life tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, yeah. See those hands. Thank you, God. Here's what I want us to do. I, uh, I just believe this, that there's something powerful about leaving where you, where you are and coming 
to a new place. And I know we had a great time of worship, but I do believe that there is something else God wants to do specifically for those who are saying tonight, I've been betrayed and my heart's been closed or I've been the betrayer or I am coming home tonight. And if you lifted up your hand, I'm going to ask you to be so bold and so brave. When I count to three, I just want you to come to the front and come find a place here at this altar. And as you're coming forward, it is a sign to say that the old me that just wanted to stay in isolation, that didn't want to trust again, is staying at your seat. But the new you is allowing God to open up your heart again. Hear me, you can't do this in your own strength. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit to bring healing for the pain, for the hurt, for the abuse. If that's you, I want you to come. One, this is your moment. Two, don't worry about what somebody else is going to think about you. Three, three, would you come? Would you come? Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I don't care how far you got to walk. I don't care if you got to move down an aisle. Come on, God loves you so much that he made sure you would be here tonight so you don't miss out on a John. You don't miss out on the healing of community and relationship. Don't let the pain of Judas make you miss out on the healing of John. We would like to thank you for being a part of our social global family. Please head to our website, socialdallas.online, and see the many ways you can stay connected with us from around the world.